1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
2: On this episode, Digital Consciousness, are we living in a computer simulation? Exploring the very nature of our reality with Jim Elvich, the author of Digital Consciousness.
3: All of the things we interact with, there doesn't have to be stuff there. It feels like stuff, but all we're feeling when we knock on a door, what we're interpreting are signals that are going to our brain that are telling us that we're extremely close to something else, and there's a repulsive force that is making it difficult for our knuckles to go any further into it. That communication it's happening in the brain is really what we feel when we think we feel stuff we don't really feel stuff our the molecules in our knuckles don't touch the molecules on a door
2: all right i've been telling you about this big reverse speech live event happening in toronto thursday october the 18th that's tomorrow and here is the discoverer of reverse speech david john oates david welcome to canada
4: Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's a lovely town from what I saw, a lovely country from what I've seen so far, yeah.
2: So you and I are going to see each other on Saturday the 20th, but first let people know, for those not familiar with reverse speech, what it is and how it works.
4: Sure. All right, well, very simply, reverse speech is another human sense. The theory behind it is that language is bi-level, forwards as well as backwards and as the human brain is putting the sounds of speech together it's doing it in such a way that we're saying two things at once, one forwards and one in reverse. And quite literally if you record human speech and run it backwards, about 15 or 20 seconds, you can hear these very clear phrases amongst the gibberish, some of them as clear as I'm talking to you now, uh, that is what is happening not just on a conscious level but on an unconscious level Uh, uh, We're tapping into unconscious thought processes and conscious thought. That's what we're hearing in reverse.
2: On Saturday, October the 20th Mm -hmm. at the Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, I'll be uh, hosting and you'll be presenting some of these reversals. Just tell Mm -hmm. people what they'll be hearing.
4: Well, I'll be starting off with a basic introduction of reverse Speaks first, playing some simple examples of some politicians and children. Uh, children are great in reverse; you'll love hearing them. Um, uh, I'll be moving. I'll be covering the uh, JFK assassination in uh, quite some depth. Um, you, you will, people will be surprised by what I found. Um, it doesn't necessarily fit all the conspiracy theories floating around. So, if you want a new perspective on JFK, Uh, I may cover the moon landings um, and um, I'll be going into the therapeutic aspects of reverse speech and I'll be going way down deep into the spiritual level and how reverse speech taps into the spirit or the soul.
2: Fantastic, David. Looking forward to it. I'm going to work Christian Dekadur in here from Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners who is presenting this uh, fabulous reverse speech event. Christian Hello. Hi, Christian. So, let people know all the details about the uh, the three-day event.
0: Okay. Well, everyone, there is a three-day event of Reverse Speech. It is an absolute amazing technology. We're very excited and very proud that it's uh, here in Canada, and the founder, David John Oates, is here. So Thursday, October the 18th, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., and Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church in the basement. Tickets are $10 at the door. We will be conducting reversals found on politicians, both Canadian and American, and some international. So that's Thursday. Friday evening, it's an amazing evening. I mean, the Friday is just great. It's the first time that anyone has done some reversals on certain specific serial killers. We've got some amazing reversals on Jeffrey Dahmer, some outstanding reversals on John Gotti and Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman, one of the most famous hitmen in the United States working for the Gambino family and a private contractor. We've also got Some uh, amazing reversals on uh, Richard Ramirez, uh, the Night Stalker, just a combination of different mobsters, hitmen, and of course, uh, very infamous uh, serial killers. So that's Friday night, and that is from 7 to 9 as well, Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church. Tickets are $10 at the door right beside Donland Station in the basement. Now, the main event this Saturday, which of course will be hosted by you, Richard, presented by Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners, is from 2 to 5 p.m., three hours, and it is uh, at Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church. Again, tickets are $15 at the door, and David will be revealing new aspects and new angles to the JFK assassination, as well as Princess Diana, the moon landing, and a multitude of other very, very popular conspiracies that reverse speech has opened up the doors to that was never ever uh, known about previously. And that will be held this Saturday, the 20th of October, between 2 and 5 at Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, $15 at the door in the basement, right beside Donland Subway Station.
2: So, a quick recap. Thursday, October the 18th, David John Oates presents The Reversals of Politicians. That's 7 to 9 p.m., Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church. That's 40 Donlands Avenue, right next to the Donlands subway station in Toronto. That's Thursday, October the 18th. Friday, October the 19th, 7 to 9 p.m., same location, 40 Donlins Avenue, the reverse speech of hitmen, mobsters, and serial killers. That again is 7 to 9 p.m., $10 at the door. And then Saturday, October the 20th, you and I will be hosting as David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech attempts to solve the JFK assassination using reversals. We'll also hear about the moon landing hoax and the assassination of Princess Diana. That is 2 to 5 p.m., 2 to 5 p.m., $15 at the door. Again, 40 Donlans Avenue, Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, a presentation of crime and trauma scene cleaners. For more information, go to reversespeech.com. David and Christian, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank Thank you so much. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
2: Welcome to your Wednesday. Jim Elvidge is standing by. He has a new book that's available in a few months. It's a follow-up to his previous book, The Universe Solved, which came out almost 10 years ago, I think. In Digital Consciousness, Jim explores and attempts to solve some of the greatest mysteries known to man in one fell swoop. Who is God? What happens after we die? What the heck is quantum entanglement? The Mandela Effect. Uh, and more. Our reality is not what it appears to be. And the latest physics experiments demonstrate that an objective reality doesn't even exist. And no one truly knows what consciousness is or where the mind resides. Strange interconnectedness, anomalous events, and changing histories confound even the most open-minded of scientists. And no single theory seems to be able to explain it all until now, perhaps. This is going to be a two-parter, but before we get to Jim, I want to share a few emails from some faithful listeners. Good evening, Richard. I found your podcast through Suggested. On my podcast app on iPhone 8, I live and drive a garbage truck in Phoenix, Uh, Your show keeps me focused, engaged, and thoroughly entertained. I enjoy the very topics you present and the respect shown to all guests, even the ones your opinion may differ from. Keep up the great work. I especially enjoyed the Philadelphia Experiment and Q episodes recently. The best to you and your family. Jeremy L. Dow. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Great to hear from you, and God bless. Hi, Richard. Jason here from just down the road in London, Ontario. I was introduced to you on Coast to Coast AM, and I am a weekly listener to Conspiracy Unlimited and the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. I download the podcasts to my phone and listen while I'm at work. I'm, I am part of a paranormal investigations group called Capture Paranormal. And your shows inspired me to start my own podcast called the Capture Paranormal Podcast, based around the group. Thank you for the hours of great listening, and I will continue to follow along. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. All the best. And I'd love to hear from you, too. Tell me who you are, where you are, and how and why you listen to Conspiracy Unlimited. Shoot me an email at richardserat1 at gmail.com. Jim Elvich holds a master's degree in electrical engineering from Cornell University. He has applied his training in the high-tech world as a leader in technology and enterprise management, including many years in executive roles for various companies and entrepreneurial ventures. He also holds four patents in digital signal processing. Beyond the high-tech realm, however, Elvich has years of experience as a musician, writer, and truth seeker. He merged his technology skills with his love of music, developed one of the first PC-based digital musicals music samplers, and co-founded Radio Amp, the first private label online streaming radio company. For many years, Jim has kept pace with the latest research theories and discoveries in the various fields of subatomic physics, cosmology, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, and paranormal. This unique knowledge base has provided the foundation for his first full-length book, Universe Solved, and his latest book is Digital Consciousness, a Transformative Vision. Jim Elvidge, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? It's been a while.
3: I'm great, and thank you very much, Richard, for having me back on. Uh, We go a long way back. Um, I've always enjoyed our conversations and the interviews, and it's great to be on your show again.
2: Oh, likewise. You know, uh, how long has uh, this book, Digital Consciousness, been in the works?
3: I'd say about two years. It took a little bit longer than the first one just because I, I think I was a little bit busier <laughs> over those two years. And uh, also the publishing process, uh, I self-published the first book. This one, uh, I do have a publisher, and they're a little more rigorous. Uh, they take a little more time uh, to market it and so forth. So um, it's taken a little bit longer to get out uh, than I had originally thought. But um, yeah, it's finally finally available for pre-order.
2: So I want to start off with a couple of definitions. What do you mean by a materialist reductionist paradigm?
3: Yeah, that, to me, that is the sort of uh, standard paradigm that a lot of people believe. A lot of scientists believe that, not all. Um, you know, Any anybody who's really explored uh, quantum mechanics has probably gotten away from that paradigm, but it's the idea that everything, there's a, a cause for every effect, and that things are completely predictable, and so that you can reduce uh, you know, down to uh, the atomic level um, the, the nature of forces and atoms and things like that, and theoretically, uh, you know, theoretically, somewhere there's a, a theory that will explain exactly how everything works, and you could theoretically p- predict um, all behavior from that. Um, it's also uh, part of this uh, theory Um, which is, you know, some people call scientific realism, is the idea that there's a real physical, objective reality out there. So if we don't exist, if our consciousness doesn't exist, um, human race doesn't exist, no consciousness exists out there, there's still some physical reality, and and that's that's the materialist uh, paradigm. Right.
2: it's very um it's very fatalistic in a way because everything is reduced to a predictable outcome it's an equation if you can you know all of the inputs that go into the computer you can you can determine what the output is going to be it's a very a religious view isn't it because a religious person or a spiritual person argues against the materialist uh and 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 suggest that, you know, no, obviously there's 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 more to the to the world than than can be seen or felt or touched or smelt, and so forth.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a, a theory called super determinism. And I think that's that's the, the theory that is sort of like ultimately, uh, you, you know, when you when you drill down into the materialist paradigm, you get to super determinism, which basically says nobody has a free will. Everything that is going to happen is predestined, and we're, we're kind of like cogs in a wheel. We're just going along for the ride. And yeah, it's very fatalistic. It's very uninspiring for sure. And that's not to say that that's why I, you know, search out a different theory or why um, you know, this, this, this theory that I talk about makes sense. It's not because I'm afraid of fatalism or, or anything like that. It's just the evidence is there that basically says the materialistic paradigm is wrong. It's kind of like, you know, an analogy I often use is the whole flat earth thing. So if you walk around town, you know, you can walk around, uh, You know the beach or the desert or wherever, and you look around; it just seems like it's flat. You don't see the curvature of the Earth. You can't see it from the altitude of six feet, Um, and so you know it's it's easy to be fooled into that. But of course, we know better. We've actually known better since the time of the Greeks that the Earth was round, and all it takes is a you know a spaceship or or even a high flying plane uh, to to verify that. So, but but what is apparent is just you know, things look flat, and it's kind of like Newtonian mechanics. Uh, That seemed, uh, you know, a very apparent kind of theory until uh, Einstein started talking about strange effects at speeds approaching uh, the speed of light. Then that theory doesn't make any sense anymore. So materialism is the same way. It's, It's what seems obvious to us because we're looking at everything at a macroscopic level. You know, we... We see cause and effect very easily. You know, we see a, a car crash into another car. We see the damage. We see, you know, a force cause, uh, you know, a motion on some other object, and so it all kind of makes sense at that macroscopic level. But that doesn't mean that there isn't anything completely different layers underneath that level. And that's that's where that's where scientists are starting to explore now. And that's where they're all baffled because the results of experiments are indicating, yeah, that materialism materialistic paradigm doesn't exist.
2: So your model of reality or the one that you subscribe to and and posit in digital consciousness, does it does it have a name? And 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 what is your model basically?
3: Uh, Yeah, I call it digital consciousness. I I used to call it programmed reality and I kind of didn't like that. Um, After a while, I didn't like that, because it implied that there was some programmer behind it. You know, when you think of uh, something programmed, it implies that there was some entity that programmed it. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I do think it's digital. I think, you know, the idea of digital and consciousness are two key um, areas to explore. Um, And you can argue whether the Universe that we see, or the ultimate reality, is digital or continuous, digital or analog, continuous or discrete. And from all of the evidence, it seems to me that it's digital. Uh, You can also argue whether or not consciousness is a more fundamental property of things than just an emergent property of the brain, and. I, I believe it is, and I believe there's a lot of evidence for that. So those two key things—the fact that the uh, all that there is, the, the the universe is digital deep down, and that consciousness is not just an artifact of the brain, but more a fundamental construct of reality—those two key things together have profound implications and profound explanatory power. Uh, for all of the anomalies that that uh, puzzle us these days
2: so when i think of digital i think of television i think of mm-hmm. the computer i think of electronics but how can consciousness or be digital how can how can reality when you scratch beneath the surface be digital i think of digital as ones and zeros it's it's on or it's off what mm-hmm. does that mean when we re- when we're applying the term digital to, to consciousness or to reality?
3: Well, let, let's take reality first. Um, the, the consciousness question is, is actually a, a really good one and probably would take a little bit longer to talk about. But the idea of, of reality being digital, you could think of it this way. It's, it's another one of those things where if you look at something at a macroscopic level, it does appear continuous. So for example, um, you, uh, you're at a, at a pond or some body of water. And you can see you know, some ripples in the water or something, and, and it looks like a, a continuous flowing thing. If you drop a pebble in that, in that pond, you'll see discrete waves moving out from the point of entry of the pebble. So there's a digital or a discrete nature to those waves. But under those waves, they're just made of you know, millions of molecules of water that seem to flow together. But when you go even further, now we're four levels down that water is actually composed of molecules, and those molecules are discrete things. But then you go further down, and traditional science would say, yes, those are uh, discrete things, but they're composed of you know, fields of, of forces that uh, are continuous. And then when you go even further, we're probably six levels down now in, in this kind of thought experiment, um, quantum mechanics starts to, to come into play, and everything seems to be discrete again. So it, it, it's it, it's a it's a it's a question that isn't obvious whether or not reality is ultimately discrete or continuous. But the idea is, from a, a spatial standpoint, if you subdivide space, like say you have a ruler and you say, well, what's the midpoint of that? Okay. You know, six inches, what's the midpoint between that and zero? Well, three. And then you keep on subdividing further and further. In a continuous reality, you would never, ever get to um, a point where there's nothing in between two points. So space would be continuous. In a digital reality, ultimately you would get to some point where there's just – you know, elements of space, and and there's nothing in between those elements, sort of like cells of space, if you will. So, so that's, you know, that's that's uh that's kind of the idea of uh, of digital reality. And there's, again, a lot of evidence that supports the idea that reality is digital. For example, it takes an infinite amount of um, resources to be able to drill down into a continuous reality because you never get there. Uh, so. If, if you, you know, posit that there could be some uh, designer or some purpose or something be, behind our reality, then by definition, they would probably have used a, uh, you know, even if it's a system that, uh, you know, self-corrects, it probably would have used some efficient method to be created. And it's it's ultimately far more efficient to be digital than continuous. Right. So. Yeah. So 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 deep down, um, it, it does appear to be. And you know, even with uh, atoms, we we thought that atoms used to be like billiard ball kind of things. And you know, as we explored that, you know, Ernest Rutherford and others found that no, it's mostly empty space. In fact, it's ten to the thirtieth to one ratio of empty space to actual stuff. Um, and then the, that that nucleus of Uh, protons and neutrons, they found, was mostly empty space because it's composed of quarks, which are way smaller than the protons and neutrons, and the rest is empty space. And then the string theorists say, oh yeah, well, those quarks are mostly empty space. They're just little vibrating bits of string, which are one Planck length in diameter. And now you're at like 10 to the 50th to 1 in terms of how much empty space there is in something. And that assumes that string is the ultimate Uh, you know, end point to to this inspection, you know, deep into the nature of reality. But in string theory, the idea is that the vibration of the string, sort of the frequency of it, if you will, um, determines the kind of particle it is. So if you have a number that says that's how fast the string vibrates, that determines the particle. Well, then you don't need any stuff. All you need is the number to determine What particle it is? At that point, you're just talking about data, and in fact, all of the things we interact with, there doesn't have to be stuff there. It feels like stuff, but all, all, all we're feeling when we knock on a door, we're not. We're you know, feeling is a word that's a very high level word. What we're interpreting are signals that are going to our brain that are telling us that we're extremely close to something else. And there's a repulsive force uh, that that is making it difficult for our knuckles to go any further into it. You know what I mean? So so that communication that's happening in the brain is is really what we feel when we think we feel stuff. We don't really feel stuff. Our the molecules in our knuckles don't touch the molecules on a door. So. Um, that's right. Yeah, well, when get, it's like, yeah, when you get right down to it, it's, it's it's very interesting.
2: Well, it's it's. I think Einstein was maybe talking about that when he said that there is no matter. There's just energy that is slowed down to such such a rate that it becomes perceptible to our senses. There is no matter.
3: Yeah, exactly. And Einstein was one of those people. I have I have so much respect for him because he thought out of the box. He he. You know, one of the things that is very common. Uh, in the scientific world is you know the foundation that all theories are based on is something that has been learned. and it's so- something that often isn't questioned. Well, Einstein was able to say, you know what i'm going to I'm not going to assume anything. I'm going to think out of the box and and question everything that I've always learned. and that takes that takes a lot of courage. and he was and he came up with some amazing uh, ideas because of that. He was going to do it. He's why.
1: The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. If he wasn't going to
3: get off the grog, which he wasn't, it was probably going to kill him. Lennon, Hendrix,
1: Presley, Jim Morrison. The truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow yeah, there, your mind. Ready. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Searant. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Westwood One Podcast app. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, Here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later.
2: Jim Elvidge, the author of Digital Consciousness, is here. So this this paradigm uh, of reality, digital consciousness, has has led you to tackle all of the big questions uh, that have uh, that that mankind has contemplated uh, since forever. Uh, and let's start with the big one. You know, is there a God? How does one? Use the digital consciousness paradigm to tackle that question and what is the answer?
3: Sure um, and I think again like the word feeling, the word God is something that comes with all kinds of assumptions in the judeo-christian world we we think of God as the pictures that we you know have seen drawn of God that, that are hanging in the Louvre and, and other uh, museums. Um, but another concept of God, the more Eastern concept of God is kind of all that there is. And that's really the way I look at it too. All that exists, um, think of it as a sea of consciousness. (coughs) Let's call that God. So if we want to use that word, that's fine. Um, but I think because it has so many specific connotations to people, I try to avoid using that word, but The meaning is still the same, especially in the Eastern sense. We are part of it because we are part of the huge sea of consciousness, which is all that there is, which could be called God.
2: Consciousness is all that there is. That's interesting. Let's examine that a little bit. Is that a little bit like the old, um, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around, does it make a sound? Um, So... If all there is is consciousness and there's nobody there to hear it, that would suggest that it doesn't make a sound.
3: Right, and, and we're, we're def- definitely getting to some artifacts of this uh, this idea. And some of this is pretty well, I wouldn't say proven because I don't like that word, You know, pretty well supported by some uh, quantum mechanics experiments. Um, I'm certainly not the first to think of consciousness as fundamental. Uh, again, Eastern religions uh, Explored this in using their own words. Uh, Max Planck in 1931. He's a pretty respect, respectable uh, Nobel laureate who said, "I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness." And when I saw that quote, I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, he he got it. He he understood this. So, consciousness is just a uh, you know an an attribute of the complexity of the all that there is the and uh my uh, colleague and friend uh tom campbell has has said consciousness is organized bits i think that's the way he put it so it's the same idea you know the deep down all that there is is consciousness and we are a part of that so that consciousness that you have is a little subset of the big consciousness of the big god so when when eastern religions talk about and 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 i refer to these religions you know not not in in the sense that you know we should just like blindly believe it but it's interesting that a lot of religious thought uh, or certainly spiritual thought comes out of real experiences that people have there is a uh, an experience uh, some people call mystical experience or religious experience where um, you you go into a very different state. Uh, it's never happened to me. I've read about it. It's happened to some um, uh, you know, you know, scientists. It's happened to philosophers. It's happened to random people at times. And they, they see things. They grasp a deeper sense of reality. And I think some of the founders of spiritual thought Um, experienced this as well and what's interesting is the commonality of what they experienced they all say the same thing whether it's you know Hinduism Buddhism Sikhism uh, you know Taoism even some of the esoteric parts of uh, Judaism and Christianity you know will say we are part of God they all say the same thing so in the sort of scientific or mathematical point of view If consciousness is all these organized bits and our soul or our our entity um, is based on just a subset of that, it's really saying the same thing as these um, ancient mystics said.
2: So consciousness is really all that there is. Um, Let me go back to that tree in the forest, but maybe tackle it a little differently. If I leave a room and close the door, is that room still there?
3: Uh, Yeah, it is. And, And here's the way I think of it. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of uh, video games and uh, let's imagine you're playing a video game we'll just use that as an analogy for the way our reality seems to work Uh, you're playing a video game and the designers of the game and some games create their own artifacts so it isn't just the designers it could be an AI the the designers of the game create a room or like a building And the building has no doors and no windows. There's no way to get into it. And your avatar there is, you know, trying to find a way into the room. Well, the the system that's running this program, this uh, virtual reality or this fantasy world, doesn't need to design what's inside the room. It doesn't have to put furniture in there or or paint the walls or anything because nobody's ever been in there. But the minute, you know, the, the player finds a key and then uses a key to unlock the door and open the door to go into the room. Now, we dynamically have to create the reality inside the room. So once it's created, I can close the door and walk away. There's no sense in making it disappear. It's already been created. I can go back in, it's gonna look exactly the same. So the point is that the system, in that case, the system being the program that generates this virtual reality experience, it is efficient, and in being efficient, it only does what it has to do at the, at the last minute to make everything consistent. So when there's a need for the room to have furniture in it, it creates the furniture in the room. And, and the, the same way, that, that same idea, it seems to be exactly the way things happen in the quantum experiments, like the delayed choice quantum eraser experiment, I'm sure you've heard of that, and and it's it's an analogous kind of thing, that it it doesn't make any sense what's happening in that experiment. It almost seems like the decisions that are made by the particles that are going through these lasers and mirrors and things like that happen after the result of the experiment. And and in fact, it does which is baffling people because it seems like it's not causal the cause and effect is reversed like something's happening in the past after the decision is made at some point in the future but it's the same argument it doesn't need to determine those paths until the experiment is closed or there's an observer now here's where there's a really interesting uh, question is it a human conscious observer or any conscious observer that needs to uh, create that definitive position or those definitive paths that the particles created, or is it just merely the fact that the experiment has to end and the data has to be collected? You know what I mean. So if the data is collected and stored in a file and the file is never looked at, did those did those paths come into existence? And I tend to think they did. I think hmm. the the evidence now supports that that's the case. It's not necessarily a human observer that requires this. Uh, I know Tom Campbell has a uh, uh, Go Start Me or, or you know one of those kind of um, funds to run some experiments to determine these kinds of things. Uh, and I'm not sure if he's run the experiment yet, but I suspect it's going to end up being that it's the efficiency of the 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 greater system that drives. The creation of the reality, and not a human observer. Let me go so back. It's a, it's a long-winded answer to your question. No, 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 no I, no. I hope it makes some sense. <laughs> um,
2: sometimes, sometimes I I surprise myself, and I I understand. And then other times, I feel like I'm a I'm a drift at sea, but a sea of consciousness, perhaps. Um, <laughs> it's there's a there's a there's a saying in Buddhism about you know if you if you if you um, if you catch it, it, it'll be yours forever or something. But if you miss it, it'll be gone forever. I, uh, I'm probably mm-hmm. misremembering that. Anyway, I wanted to get back to consciousness. Uh, and and that leads us to the other big question. We talked about, about God. Uh, and God is sort of just everything. Uh, but then what happens to us after our physical bodies die? What happens to... Uh, my consciousness. I mean, as a as a Christian, I believe you know, in an, an eternal soul. Are we talking about the same thing? An eternal soul is consciousness.
3: Yeah, we are, um, and that's you know, that's that's the that's an interesting uh, observation. I I think one of the mistakes that we make sometimes is in thinking that our waking physical reality is all that there is. You know, what the telescopes are looking deep into space and. Peering at things ten billion light years away, and you know that that's the limits of our reality. Whereas this, what we think of as our physical reality, is illusory. It's uh, it's a virtual reality, actually. And the, the deeper reality is what we experience when we die, hmm. um, or what we experience sometimes when we meditate, and maybe even what we experience when we when we dream. Uh, so. The in-between lives, uh, the near-death experiences are hints of getting to the, you know, the truer reality. And that's the one that is the sea of consciousness, I think. Now, it doesn't have to be. It could be that, that there's an even, you know, there's another layer, you know, beneath that. And that's the the sea of consciousness. And that's digital. It's, I don't really know. I mean, I don't think we could, that's a, that's one of those questions where it may be impossible to know. But the fact that we do have a lot of anecdotal evidence of people who have experienced in between lives, who have experienced reincarnation, who, you know, and you can corroborate some of their past life experiences, who have near death experiences that, statistically speaking, they line up so well, you know, across different cultures that it's hard to come up with any reason why they would exist other than the fact that, you know, we are attaching to some other uh, entity or some other um, level of reality. So these kinds of things are, you know, it's real evidence. It's real uh, consumable evidence that there's another aspect to it. And that's, I think, where the real consciousness probably lives.
2: The materialists, of course, say that's all anecdotal. And they say things, for example, that you can stimulate or you can simulate a near-death experience by stimulating certain cortexes in the brain, uh, and that, that uh, for example, uh, a near-death experience is just the, the brain's way of making the death experience perhaps more pleasant, you know, the, the tunnel of white light,
3: yeah, See, I, I, seeing I, relatives, honestly, yeah. Yeah, I think that's been totally disproven. There are so many studies now that, uh, for, for example, Uh, people have the same experience when they're not oxygen-deprived. So there have been uh, what's called shared death experiences, where you are with somebody who is dying and you have an experience along with them. Well, your brain isn't oxygen-deprived, so that white light that you see and all the same kind of experience that you have that's the hallmark of a near-death experience, you can have in a shared death scenario when you're not oxygen-deprived and and fighter pilots who hit you know 9g's or something like that and have oxygen deprivation to their brain they don't have near death experiences it's it's something completely different so the materialists sadly cling to it's like an ancient religion that they just won't let go of and for fear of i don't know tumbling their entire foundation of of belief system but they, you know the evidence is is just pretty clear to me
2: so then do you think uh, at some point we will be able to measure things like I don't want to, well, I'll use the word the soul, or if people want to use consciousness, that's fine, but the idea that it, w- w- the moment that it, it's leaving the body, we'll we, will be able to to measure things like that?
3: I don't know. I've never been asked that question, and, and my gut tells me no. Um, I know back in the early 1900s i think people did some experiments where they weighed people before or after dying and and you know tried to claim that there was some small difference in weight as if the soul had a had a weight but to me the soul is is again ultimately it's just information i think all that there is is just information and so it can't really have weight But I could be wrong. I mean, you know, maybe there would be a way to to measure that. I just can't imagine it right now.
2: (laughs) So the idea of consciousness then being eternal, uh, and, and people argue about where the center of the mind is, where is the mind, and the materialist again would say, well, it's perhaps centered in the brain. The mind is in the body. The mind is in the body. You would argue that the body is in the mind.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the body is... Uh, is a perception of the of the mind really it's a it's an avatar for us to to learn with um, yeah I, I think that's that's probably the the best way to put it
2: but the idea that there is i mean is there an objective re, uh, an objective reality is there an objective truth uh
3: well i suppose that they there there could be. I mean, I think that there are some things that are more real than others. So, for example, the in-between lives, the afterlife, the um, where the the soul resides, is probably much more objective than our the virtual reality that we appear to live in. Uh, I did mention before that it's possible too that that's even virtual, and that there's something deeper that's more fundamental. But um, so that's why I say you know levels of reality. Uh, I I think it's clear that the reality we're in is virtual, but it's not yet clear that the reality that we go to in between lives uh, is is virtual.
2: Okay, well, that concludes part one of my conversation with Jim Elvich. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be right back with a word or two about episode 133, which drops Friday.
3: Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. And many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals.
2: Coming up Friday, more of my conversation with Jim Elvidge on the nature of reality and digital consciousness.
3: One thing about memory though, memory is absolutely faulty. When you recall something, you're not recalling the original thing. What you're recalling is the last time that you recalled it. So there's no like hard-coded original, or necessarily, there might it might be somewhere in your consciousness or somewhere in the Akashic Record or whatever we wanna call it. There could be the original thing there, but the thing that you, your mind has more recent access to is the thing that you pull out. So if over time it changes because somebody convinced you something was different or you saw a TV show that portrayed it differently or some scene in a movie is in your mind or something like that, then you start really remembering and start reinforcing that false memory. And this does happen to people.
2: Until next time, I'm Richard Saron. So long for now.